0: You appreciate jazzy introductions. (laughs) Good morning. God bless you. It's so, uh, it's so, uh, it's actually one of the odd things when you are a travel minister. You know, you travel and you do your thing and, and what God has called you to do. But there's just something special when you get to have the opportunity to speak to the congregation, the fellowship of believers that, Uh, you're assigned to. Kay and I thank God for Owasso First Assembly, the congregation of Owasso First Assembly. We thank God for all of the men who uh, participated in the event this weekend because every man that served and and co-labored to make it happen, there were men that flew across the country at their expense, of course, and coming here, and lives were changed. We had, people, we had men saved uh, who participated online. I called out a word of knowledge on Friday night and a, that a man needed to repent. And I won't go through all the details, but he messaged me. He said, you called me out. I fell on my face. I've repented. I've turned my life back to Christ. And other great things happened. Miracles uh, happened but I want you to know that we thank God for our congregation. We thank God for our pastors. It was, it was a prayerful decision we, when we moved here five years ago, who we would come in and uh, submit ourselves into a pastoral leadership. Uh, a lot of travel ministers make the uh, very vital mistake of when they travel, they when they're home, they just go to a church that they can have anonymity and they can spectate and, and uh, not get involved. Kay and I were very determined to come here and have a congregation and a fellowship of believers. And we prayerfully considered, and Pastor Bruce and Janet are our pastors we love them, we thank God for them, we pray for them every day as you do, and I just want to say we love you, we thank God for you, amen. So this morning I have the assignment to talk about marriage busters, and uh, I take this uh, very seriously. I was reading a statistic uh, this last week, uh, I think it was, that uh, uh, it said that women who gain a few pounds live much longer than the husband who mentions it. (laughs) Okay, that's honestly all the humor that I have. If you're going to have any fun, that's the level that you can expect. I don't have anything else written. I don't have anything, you know, strategized. I just, that's all I got. Here's the deal. Dishonesty is a marriage buster. Deception divides. Agreement attracts. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. While you're turning there, I want to make a confession of faith. Father, I thank you that we have the opportunity to communicate your word. I thank you that The prophet Isaiah said that stammering lips will speak fluently and clearly. I pray as Paul prayed that I will speak clearly as I should, making the most of this opportunity that my conversation is seasoned with salt. I pray you watch over your word. Your word will not return void, but will accomplish the purpose for which you sent him. Give his ears to hear your word, and as we receive the word of God, we can. We decide to consummate the word to produce a harvest of righteousness in our lives. In the authority of Jesus Christ, I bind any deception, any distraction, any demonic influence from the word of God today in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 18 verse 19 says, if two of you agree Here on earth, concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. Satan hates marriage. He hates marriage because it is the power of agreement. Marriage is the consummation of God's first words spoken to be fruitful and multiply. Satan hates God's first words. God's first words were as a blessing over you. Aren't you glad that God's first words was a blessing? And he blessed you to say, Be fruitful. He said, I like you so much, I want more just like you. And he blessed your marriage and Satan as is at war with your marriage, you must understand that the very act of marriage is spiritual warfare. We're not ignorant of his schemes. He must cause a crisis or create confusion, stir up civil war within your marriage to defeat you because he knows this, when two agree on earth touching anything, it shall be done. Satan's craft is dishonesty. He masters deception. I don't, I don't know how to fully explain my schooling of seeing deception at work, but l- let me attempt. My mom's second husband raised us in a home of complete dishonesty. He was an habitual liar. He was an embellisher. He told story after story of elevating himself over other people. And yet I knew, even as a young boy, I knew that what he was saying was a lie. What I could not understand was my mother supporting his lies. That was where I saw deception at work. I couldn't comprehend how a man could lie and yet why my mother would support the lie. That was the tragedy Of my relationship with him was that he was a liar, but even more was that my mother supported his lies. He set himself against me in the family because I called him out, even as a boy, because I would not play along with his delusions. Deception is a marriage buster. Deception is a demonic stratagem. It is a craft that is mastered in this present culture. We're living in an era of lies, bold, unobstructed, lying. They know they're lying. They know that we know they're lying, and yet they want you to play along. And if you do not play along with their lies, they will set themselves against you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 9 says, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. And all the ways of the wicked devices, those who are perishing, they perish because they refused to love the truth and be saved. For this reason, God allows a powerful delusion so that they will believe a lie. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. The danger is that if you allow yourself to believe a lie, you open your mind to darken matter. You will begin to have delusional imaginations. You will no longer have a sense of reality. Your lie will become your reality. A lie works on the principle of a confession. Because what you say affects your heart, and your heart affects what you say. It's how we're saved. You believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you're saved. A lie works on the same principle. When you believe something in your heart that is a lie, you begin to believe it by speaking it. Jesus contributed the art of deception to the devil. The devil is a term that we use a lot but rarely understand because it is he or she that is a slanderer and who opposes God and the word of God as truth. Jesus said that the devil is the propagator or the progenitor of deception. He is literally the father of lies. John chapter 8 verse 44 says, for you are the children of your father, the devil. You love to do the evil things that he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character because he is a liar and he is a father of lies. Jesus said that the devil's character, his mental disorder, and his moral depravity is all because he is a liar. Those who trade in lies prove themselves to be his sons. I'm going to say that again because it's a haunting reality. Those who trade in lies prove themselves to be the progeny, the sons, the daughters of Satan. There's an enmity between the seed of God's word and the seed of Of Satan, the children of lies. The devil's mental conditioning is delusional. He is in dark imagination. What's amazing about the devil is that he actually believes that he can thwart the one true God. He is so delusional, he actually thinks that he can dethrone the one who is on the throne, the Almighty, the one true God. And by the way, it's not in my notes. I'll give you a footnote, a bonus material. Just because someone invokes the name of God does not mean that they are speaking about your God. Your God is the God that is the one true God, the God Yahweh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of David, the God of the prophets, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not everyone who evokes the name of God is thinking your God. They're thinking Baal. They're thinking Shamos. They're thinking Ishtar. But they are thinking somebody if they are contributing their lies to him. My notes said you would shout amen. amen. Thank you. The devil has a craft, and he is a master in his craft. It's called modacity. It's called lying, but it's an art form. You see it demonstrated constantly in our culture with media and Washington They have mastered the art of modacity. They call it Machiavellianism. It is simply this. It's satanic. Let's call it what it is. It's satanic. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, Did God really say that you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden the woman replied it is only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat thus far she has held her ground in truth god said he must you must not eat it or even touch it if you do you will die you won't die The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The word shrewd means crafty. It means, in a a positive sense, it would mean prudent. Proverbs speaks of the virtues of being prudent. However, in the negative use of shrewdness, it means to uncover, to make vulnerable, to expose, or to make naked. The irony of this shrewdness is the result of Eve being deceived by the lies of the serpent. And Adam willingly rebelling against the word of Yahweh is that they were uncovered. They were removed from authentic protection of God. They were exposed. And when asked, they said, we hid because we were naked. Later, when they realized that they were exposed and they hid, it was all because they had been Shrewdly lied to. I call it the scheme of the question, and it began with this: Did God really say? The serpent wasn't asking for information or revelation. He wasn't asking to gain actual knowledge. He was implanting doubt by the question. It was an attempt to question the validity of God's word. He does it other types and places in the scripture. If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are the son of God, prove yourself by jumping off of the pinnacle of the temple. It's really interesting how we buy into certain concepts that are not biblical. The concept of taking a leap of faith is not a biblical concept. There's nowhere in Scripture that God asks you to go to the edge of the cliff and jump off to prove that you trust him. In fact, the only one to ever suggest jumping off something to prove that you trust him is Satan. God only asks you to take steps of faith, that he establishes the steps of faith. But it's the lie of the enemy to try to get you to assume faith when you have not proved faith. Another question is, by what authority do you do these miracles? It's the scheme of the question. And he is masterful in misquoting God. He says, did God really say you must not eat fruit from any of the trees in the garden? God had instructed Adam that they should eat, they could eat from any of the trees except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The implication of the lie is that God is withholding something valuable from them. He's a master at this. He convinces young people that if you serve God, that somehow God is going to withhold something good from you. He's a master at this in defeating and busting marriages and somehow suggesting that somehow God has a better Spouse for you. They're misquoting. They're misquoting the application of God. Misquoting God is puts you in opposition of God. In fact, Jeremiah 23, verse 31 says, I am against the smooth-tongue prophets who say, This prophecy is from the Lord. I'm against but the Lord says, I am against these false prophets because their imaginary dreams are flagrant lies. That lead people to sin. We're living in a day that you have to have the belt of truth just to hear a sermon on Sunday. Because there are prophets, there are preachers who are speaking lies about God. And God says, I'm setting myself against those who wag their tongue and declare, Thus saith the Lord. Here's the big lie you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The big lie is that they were already created in the image of God. He wasn't promising them something new. He wasn't promising them gain. He was promising them that they would be like God, a promise that he couldn't fulfill Because God had already fulfilled it. God said, let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he made them. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and said, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. Here's God's truth. God created your marriage. Satan wants to divide it. Here's the principle. Every marriage is destroyed by a third voice. Every marriage is destroyed by a third voice. Adam was given dominion over every creature that moved on the earth. He had the authority to rule over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all of the creatures that crept on the ground. And yet Adam failed to protect his family from the influence of the serpent. I'm going to pause here and kind of regroup because I feel like I've been speaking so heavily, but it's pastor's assignment for us to go this direction. I'm just following the assignment. We're going to turn this around to be positive, but you've got to hear me clearly. Your marriage will be destroyed if you give ear to a third voice speaking into it. Okay, I'll I'll just be my own amen moment. Amen, Neil. If you allow a third voice to begin to influence, Adam allowed a third voice to come in. Adam had responsibility over everything that crept on the ground, and all Adam had to do was put his foot down and say, no, you do not have authority to have spiritual influence on my wife. Men, this should call you to action to step up to be a spiritual man, a man that leads his family and the man that protects his family from spiritual influences that are contrary to the Word of God. Every marriage is destroyed by a third voice. It can come in the volume of a chat, a text, an office conversation, an old fling. Every marriage is destroyed by a third voice. The second principle I want you to see is men are given authority to protect your family from these creeps. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 10 says, this is why a woman should have the symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. The covering of the head is representative as a protective authority of not only the seen, but also the unseen realm. It's really interesting what Paul is saying. He's saying, men, you have a responsibility to protect your wives from the unseen realm, namely angels, referring those angels that are watching women, looking on the daughters of men. But the leg- legitimate authority does not dominate over wives But legitimate biblical authority serves leadership. You're the gate of authority to your home. You do so because you are the gatekeeper of your home. Listen to me, men. Listen to me. You are the gate of authority to your home. The gate that you open is the one the enemy will have access through. Whether it's TV, internet, games, music, entertainment, friends, or even delusional family members. You must guard your wife and your children from the invasion of concepts and belief systems and devalues your atmosphere in your home. The atmosphere that you allow in your home becomes the culture of your children, Once again, my notes, they would shout, amen. (laughs) Ladies, you should not give your babysitting over to entertainment. Just because it's a cartoon doesn't mean that it's wholesome. Children are being raised, being entertained by zombies. Zombies are dead corpses aroused to life by witchcraft. Is that who you want babysitting your children? Amen. Man, there comes a moment that you've got to decide, there are certain things I'm not going to allow in our home. Just because it's on TV doesn't mean that it belongs in your home. Okay, I'm just going to meddle. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand it. How can you have dinner while you're watching crime shows that are dissecting human beings while you're eating dinner. I don't get it. I don't understand your appetite. I also don't understand how you can somehow be entertained with popcorn while you're watching people making out in front of you. It doesn't make sense. If an Oklahoma storm flows in and the Cable goes out, you don't go to your neighbors and have them come over and say, listen, we're without television or cable today. Would you sit here, make out, we'll cook some popcorn and watch? It doesn't make any sense to me. There are certain things that you shouldn't allow in your home. What you allow in your home becomes the culture of your family. Principle, God made man and woman codependent of one another. You're codependent. Men, you need to understand this. First Corinthians eleven, eleven. In the Lord, however, women, woman is not independent of man, and man is not independent of woman. The big lie in this culture is that the man and the woman are not complementary. That somehow we're in competition. Marriage is designed for completion, not for competition. The takeaway is that male and the female have become fluid concepts. That there's transitioning and that you can be independent of one another. But God said when he saw man, it's not good for man to be alone. So he created man a helpmate, which means that he created a perfect complementary design for the man. Here's the principle. God made man and woman complementary to one another. He said it's not good for man to be alone, so he says I'm going to complete him. I'm going to give him a complement to make him better. What's interesting about that is it is usually the very opposite of what you are. I'll be honest with you. I'm so glad that Kay is the very opposite of who I am because I need help. I'm sure that one day I might find something that I bring to compliment her. We haven't discovered it yet, but we're still searching but I, when, I, when I was joined with my wife, I found a deep reservoir and a discovery of someone who adds to me, multiplies to me. First Corinthians chapter 11 verse 12 says, for just as a woman came from man, so a man comes through a woman and all things come from God. Listen, you must defeat the lie of this culture that we are at war with one another. Women, you are not beneath the man. You are protected under his cover. You are not less than him. He admires you and honors you. The male and the female are perfect in complementary design. The man is better with her. And listen, you're better with him. The devil, the accuser, wants to divide your marriage. Matthew chapter 19 verse 4 says this, haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning God made them male and female. You know what I love about that is that Jesus himself is acknowledging and giving uh, authority to the reference of scripture. Jesus himself is saying scripture is above everything else. Haven't you read this? And he goes on to say, this explains why a woman leaves his father and mother. And I'm going to deal with this in just a moment. The next principle I want you to understand is the man and the woman are for compounding. The power of agreement. God's first words was be fruitful and multiply. Marriage is not addition. One plus one equals two. Marriage is multiplication. It's one times one equals one. You will be, never be more than what you are when you have the multiplier effect of your marriage. Here's the marriage buster of deception. The multiplier marriage is busted by division. Division doesn't just happen, it progresses to it. Let me give you the process. Division begins first with a muttered complaint. It's called a murmur. When I was raising cattle as a boy, and it was my responsibility to feed my cattle, they were only my cattle when it was time to feed, not when it was time to sell. But if I didn't feed them on time, the cattle murmured. Everyone say murmur. Say it again. One more time. That's exactly what it sounded like. It was a murmur. A murmur is a muttered complaint voiced to peers, not to leaders. When you begin to hear a murmur in your marriage, you're on dangerous ground. You must have the maturity to speak. I love what this younger generation says use your words. Have you heard that? I don't know why that just strikes me as cool. Use your words. In other words, don't throw a tantrum. Don't mutter a complaint. If you do not answer a complaint that is murmuring, it will become strife. Strife is a bitter root swallowed. Strife is a force to be reckoned with because strife brings evil work. The Bible says where there's strife, there's every evil at work. Now, constant quarreling begins. Listen, it's not cute, it's not funny, and you're not going to build your marriage if you're constantly quarreling at one another. You need to forbid it, you need to stop it, you need to never put one down, you need to stop the little jokes, you need to stop it, even if it costs you $5 every time you do it. Say, okay, anytime we put each other down, it's $5 or $10. It should cost you up front because it will cost you your marriage if you play games with it. Are you getting anything out of this? Okay, there's five of us. So hang on, we'll try to get there. Murmuring becomes strife. Strife becomes evil work. Evil work becomes... Manipulation. Manipulation is deceptive handling. Manipulation is a maneuvering process. It's actually a political scheming process that Satan masters. Manipulation is witchcraft. Now the person has entered into the dark arts of evil domination, necromancy, voodooism, sorcery, all of this comes simply because a murmur was not addressed. It becomes strife, evil work, manipulation, witchcraft. Witchcraft is the sin of rebellion. Now the acts of violence against authority. And now one will raise up a hand against the other. When you reach the point of rebellion, you have also reached the point of division which is the separating. And God says, let no man separate while God is joined together. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence. And pastor did a great job explaining this leadership that we are under submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are submitted to one another. Listen to me carefully. Our Our submission under Christ is because he is going to protect us. He is going to empower us. He is going to promote you, and he is going to provide for you. In the same way, the husband has the responsibility for those benefits to come into you. The husband has the responsibility to build you up, not tear you down. Men, you cannot speak down to your wife and then expect them to live up to their potential. Ladies, I just gave you the amen moment of your entire life. When you're under submission, it means that you're belonging to one another, that you are united, that you're in agreement. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. I find it not burdensome to be under the lordship of my Lord Christ, Jesus. I don't find that it's belittling to me. I find that it elevates me. I find the fact that I'm submitted to my Lord Jesus Christ, that I'm a better man because of it. I have found that the submit, submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ has made me a better man. I've found that being submitted to Christ gives me a better life. And in the same way, ladies, being submitted to your husband should also be a benefit and not a burden. Submitting to one another belongs, means that we're belonging to one another. Verse 23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Once again, this is the problem because the world is lying to you because the world only understands leadership that is based on domination. But biblical leadership is servanthood. I don't know how to tell you this without it sounding as if I'm blowing my own trumpet. But I will, at the possible misunderstanding of why I'm telling you this, I'm going to do it. I wasn't always a good husband. I was selfish, as pastor dealt with. And I focused so much attention on what I was doing. And Kay did such a wonderful job raising our children. One day I was praying about my life and praying about where I came from and praying about where we were going. My wife was cleaning the house. There's two things that, I saw that Kay really doesn't like doing dusting. She hates it. Cleaning the bathrooms, I felt, was beneath her. So I made a decision that I was going to be the duster, and I'm going to be the man that cleans the bathrooms. So I find out every week what day she is going to clean the house, and I schedule my day around helping her. Now, I wrote an article on that, and it was shared on Family Share and literally got a million people that read the article on Family Share. I thought I was doing a good thing when I shared that a husband should help his wife clean the house, and it unloaded all of the critical women in the world to come after me. Help, help. I thought I was doing a good job. By promoting, men help clean the house. They attacked me as I was some evil husband. So every week when it's time to clean, I get the bucket and I go to the bathrooms. And I am a good bathroom cleaner. I'm really good. I take pride in it. I take pride in cleaning it up. I get down on my hands and knees and I scrub. I'm telling you, because when I do, I'm praying in the Spirit. It's not that I like doing it. It's not that I want to do it. But I want to serve my wife. I don't do laundry. I'm forbidden to do in laundry. We were on vacation In Orlando years ago, and I'm just going to give you just a little bit of insider ball here. Guys, just listen to me carefully. This was a masterful plan. The last day of vacation, Kay is wanting to soak in the last day. The last day of vacation for me is getting prepared to go back to work. So, my energy is all about okay, we got to get up, we got to go, we got to pack, we got to go, we got to get back, we got to get to work, we got to make money to pay for all this. Kay's last day of vacation is soaked in every minute. So, I woke up bright and early on the last day of vacation and I saw all the laundry and I piled it up and I took it down to the laundromat and I did all of the laundry together. I'm not good at folding, so I just piled it in a bag, and I, and I was so proud of myself. Two hours after doing the laundry, I opened the door, and it was a God-ordained moment when the sun was shining directly through the door, and it beamed into Kay's face. Proverbs says, a blessing in the morning can be taken as a curse, And Kay spoke to me in a way that I had never heard. She's never cussed. I've never heard her cuss. But she got so close. (laughs) And I got offended. I was offended because all of the points of my work were now discredited. I wasn't going to get the applause of being a good husband. She said, what are you doing? I said, well, I did the laundry. And we go after each other. And we're going at each other. We're, we're doing what, we're complaining, griping, grumbling. I'm offended. Whatever it takes to offend you is all it takes to defeat you. And I was defeated. So we go at each other. Last day of vacation, they have to drop me off to the airport, and I have to go preach. So on the way, I'm just, I'm just, The girls wouldn't talk to me. We got to the airport. I got out. They sat there. My son got out. My son came around and hugged me. It was a Hallmark moment for us. (laughs) I got in the plane, and I'm feeling bad now. Now I'm going, oh, God, I'm such a failure. And I repent, and I call her, and I, and I talk to her later. And, and she said that our oldest daughter, Alexandra, she said, I'm 16 years old, and I have never seen my parents fight before. I've never seen this. Now, the good news out of that was I am forbidden to do laundry so, guys, here's the moral of the story. It's a small price to pay to have one bad mess because you get banished from ever doing the laundry again. I want to show you this scripture. Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to be wrapping this up. That is preacher code for the musicians. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. This is why the word why is purpose. This is why. This, here's the purpose for this. A man that means maturity. It means he's not a boy. When it's time to get married, make sure that he's a man. I tell young men all the time that God gave man a job before he gave man a woman. Genesis chapter 2, God gave man a job. He said, you're going to be a husband. You're going to be a cultivator. In fact, you need to become a husband before you find a wife. You need to become a man that is mature. So you need to have a job before you ever get a wife. At least that's what I told my daughters. Don't ever date a man that doesn't have a job because if he can't fulfill his first purpose, he'll never be able to afford you. This is why a man leaves so, in other words, there's a transition, there's a, there's a geographical transition that his, he leaves his father and his mother, and he becomes, he becomes, everyone say he becomes, he becomes attached. He begins now as a progeny to his own family. He becomes attached to his wife. There's the complement, and they become one. The process of friendship and trust begins. They become one flesh. Years ago, my wife and I were on assignment, a call of God to do what God has called us to do. And it was a very difficult time. The pressure was enormous. I didn't know how we were going to make it. Kay and I sat down together, and we we began to pray. And as we begin to pray, the Holy Spirit began to speak to us. It's one of the most remarkable times in my entire life when I learned the value of the Holy Spirit being the third voice in our marriage and not the voice of division. And the Holy Spirit began to speak to us. I'm not going to tell you everything that the Holy Spirit said, but I will tell you this because we wrote this quote down and we had it we had it crafted and it hangs over our bed in our bedroom the holy spirit said when you saw each other you agreed when you saw each other you agreed When the Holy Spirit said that to me, and to us, I remembered the moment. I remember the moment when I had left Oklahoma and I moved to Springfield, Missouri to attend Bible College at Central Bible College. And my seat was up in the balcony of the chapel. So after chapel service that we were mandatory to go to, I would come down the balcony stairs every day and there would be a bottleneck in the design of the architecture and there was a bottleneck at the base of the stairs and the hallway to get out of the side door that everyone trafficked. So every day I would come down and there's not much to do except take a step and wait, take a step and wait, take a step and wait. And I remember the moment when I'm taking the step, and I look down, and I see a beautiful girl with brown eyes, a green coat with that 80s hair, and we made eye contact. And it was that moment without even a word spoken that we agreed. She asked me out later and we fell in love and we've been married 37 years. I'm gonna tell you something. You don't want deception in your marriage. Your marriage is a spiritual warfare against this culture. I wanna speak a blessing over you. If you're married this morning, would you stand to your feet together Would you hold hands with your spouse and lift your other hands? May the God who is the one true God, the God who will never be dethroned, the God who will stand against the schemes of Satan, speak his empowering words over you again. Be blessed and multiply and take dominion over this earth. I speak blessing over you to have truth and integrity and authenticity in your life and in your marriage. I speak in agreement that you will close the gate of deception. I speak blessing over you in the name of Jesus. Just worship the Lord for a moment. Lord, I love you. Lord, I give you praise. put your hand down, but if you would just remain and everyone else, would you stand? I feel led by the Spirit. If you're here this morning and you would say, Neil, I need need to be right with God. There's lies in my life. There's secrets in my life that I've got to get right. I know it's a bold thing to do, but if you would raise your hand, I'm going to pray for you right now. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want want to commit my life to him. I don't want to lie in my life ever to take me out. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work in people's lives this morning. God, only you can do this. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would cleanse the lie and the delusion out of people. I feel really prompted to do this, and bear with me. And and, and I'm, I promise you, I'm wrapping this up. But bear with me. If you're having foggy thoughts, if you're having disconnection in your thinking, and you're losing memory, you're losing cognitive thoughts, and you're concerned about that, you're not even telling people because this isn't just for. Uh, Seasoned people, this is for young people. If you're here this morning and you would say, I need God to do a miracle in my mind because I'm losing the memories that I lived. I'm losing memory. If that's you right now, I believe God wants to heal you. Raise your hand right now wherever you are. I'm going to pray for you all over this room. In the name of Jesus, be healed right now. May every mind have the mind of Christ. May your thoughts never lose their connection. May your memories never be lost in Jesus' name. Amen.